you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back together again. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good, DJ. I am good. Hopefully you had a good little vacation. We had uh, some interesting conversations while you were away. LZ came and filled in for a little bit. I did some stuff with Rhett. Had a great conversation with uh, Bruce Bellman on everything that's going on with college. But now we get to reunite and get back and do what we love talking about, which is team building, which is evaluating all the fun stuff, um, whether it's football or other sports, like just how to evaluate and put together a championship squad. Oh, it's great to see you, man. And thanks for holding down the fort and uh, and, and putting together some awesome episodes with our buddies. Uh, I do want to find out some things for you on the personal front before we get into the episode today. I need to know how the Spartans are doing in baseball. Your son Trey's up oh. at San Jose State. What, yeah. what kind of year do we have here? For okay, the so, so the Spartans had their first winning season since 2011. Wow. That that put them in a situation where they now are eligible to go to the Mountain West Conference Tournament, which is in your hometown, which is in San Diego. Nice. And then if maybe they put together a run because you see how crazy baseball is. They have to win. My son said they have to win three games. I looked at the bracket. I think you got to win four games. They win four games. They get a chance to go maybe to the NCAA tournament. So if wow. they do that, that'd be a great um, little situation. And then, you know, meanwhile, he's also prepping to play in the summer. So. It's crazy. It's all baseball. I love all the time it, man. Over here. I'm, I mean, you know, we've been doing this show a long time because I remember seeing, you know, you bring a tray into the studio, bringing little tray in. Now he's a, now he's a division one college athlete, man. I love it. I've been playing like super close attention. You know, I don't start paying attention to baseball until this month, June. How are your Padres doing? I see him on TV every now and then. I watched him the other night versus the Giants. How are your Padres doing? No, Buck, I appreciate you asking about my Padres. Yeah, it, it, we are playing without the best player in Major League Baseball, and we're only 14 games over 500. You know, that's it. So we're a half game out from the Dodgers. 
Um, and uh, I think maybe maybe the second best record in the National League. I don't know. You know, it's it's okay. We're just gonna add the best player in baseball here in a couple weeks. You know, <laughs> you know we'll see how that goes. I think we'll be okay. I'm actually yeah, well, going down there. I'm taking Siciliano down there uh, to to watch the Brewers tonight. Okay, so okay, so you didn't notice you were away on vacation, but I'm a little yeah. jealous, right? Because I kind of feel like you're like pseudo assistant general manager for the Padres because I see all your pictures there. You're kind of there. You're kind of involved. You're kind of around oh, yeah. the team. I saw you naming lights on the scoreboard. And I feel <laughs> like just from a competitive standpoint, that I need to do a better job of affiliating myself with the baseball team. So the Dodgers are my squad, but I feel like I need yep. someone to welcome me in. So I also can just kind of have like yeah. behind the scenes insight and intel. And when I show up at the game, like everyone, it's a big deal. And all that. So from a competitive standpoint, I feel like I'm a couple steps behind. So I got to I got to work on that. So our baseball people that are listening, I just kind of need like that open invite so I can adopt a major league team. So I like DJ can can kind of be like a pseudo pseudo assistant general manager. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I am. That's exactly what I am. Exactly what my role is there. You nailed it. Uh, that's, that's hilarious. Um, speaking speaking of other sports. I want to start off here talking some basketball before we get into we're going to on the episode today, we're going to talk about the fifth year options that were declined and what lessons we can learn. I think that's a good uh, it's a good team building uh, discussion and and study to go in there and look and see if we can learn any lessons from that of why it might not have worked out with some of these guys. Um, but I want to start out with with heat culture, um, something I've heard you talk about a lot. Um, and I just dove into it over the last week or so. It took my son. Uh, out to Miami. He actually loves the Celtics. So we went out there and watched uh, game two uh, where the Celtics beat the brakes off the heat. And that series <laughs> has been weird. It's been one blowout yeah. after another. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, because we went out there to watch that game, I wanted to kind of read up on heat culture and see what I could learn. Um, so I did some homework on it, read everything I could get my hands on. And some of the some of the takeaways that I had, and I want to get your thoughts on it because you know this better mm-hmm. than I do, haven't studied this team. But um uh, looking and, and reading this, this is one of the phrases that they use a lot at, in their organization, which is we have enough, which I absolutely love because you're sitting there saying no matter who's hurt, no matter who leaves in free agency, the message within the walls of that building is always we have enough. We have enough here to get it done. And I've talked to some GMs and coaches about this in the NFL and kind of exchanged this information. And that was, and we'll go through the rest of it here, but that was the thing that struck a chord with most of them because how many times you in the building and be like, oh, we just, we can't line up and play tomorrow if we don't get our fourth pass rusher. You know, if we don't have our, you know, our fifth corner, you know, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. And it's like, no, 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 you, you, you preach that message inside the building. The players are going to believe it. You have to exude the confidence of like, hey, shut the door. This is enough. We have enough in here to go win the whole thing. Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, you know, when you text me uh, from the game, you called me from the game. You're down there in Miami. And I love it because uh, since coaching, particularly taking over as a head coach, like you always are looking for teams and organizations that you admire, whether it's businesses or, or teams in other sports to just have what the buzzword is, is culture. And so the Miami Heat has always struck a chord with me because this is an organization that has always been consistently in the running. Like, Good, bad, indifferent, whether they have stars or not, they're just kind of always around. And so you kind of admire those teams that have a level of consistency and stability uh, to it. And so digging in, it's funny that you talk about we have enough. And so when you go back and you think about the Miami Heat, you think about Pat Riley and how Pat Riley set the standard. And, you know, the funny thing is when you go and you dig, like the one thing they have is like this motto, right? And so he always talks about, we're the hardest working, best conditioned, most professional, unselfish, toughest, nastiest, most disliked team in the NBA. <laughs> like that is their mission. That's state. a T-shirt. That is yeah, a T-shirt. And, like, and, so, and so when you think about that, like it, it kind of embodies a lot of the stuff that we talk about in team building. Right. So hardest working. You want guys that are going to come to work every day. They're going to work hard. They're going to do it. Best condition. You know, one of the things that we talk about, the superpowers of the great teams, they're in phenomenal shape. Yes. If you dig deep into the New England Patriots and how the Patriots have always gotten gotten down, people talk about the heel sprints, them running throughout the year, conditioning, old school approach to being able to get it done. Most professional. DJ, we always talk about like when we're talking to guys and we're doing the character assessment of prospects. I, I think the one thing that we always look at is this guy a pro, meaning mm-hmm. 
Is he punctual? Is he prepared? Does he perform? All of those things. And it's really, really simple. They'll tell you when you go to a heat practice, the number one thing they do, first thing they do is all shirt tails are tucked in. Yep. And it may seem like something trivial, but DJ, like, you know, when you walk into a practice and you're looking, if all the shirt tails in, everyone has on the same stuff, you don't have like this individualism. To me, it strikes a chord about the team being there. And then in terms of unselfish, tough, toughness, to me, and it was telling, like, so you went to game two where they got obliterated. Game three, they somehow right win. <laughs> they somehow win or whatever. And so everyone is like, well, how are they able to adjust? So their counter, DJ, whenever it gets rough, more effort, more physicality. Yep. It's not, oh, we need X's. No, oh, no, no. We got to play harder. We got to make it more of a street fight. So to me, it resonates like, well, if I'm a football team, like, hey, our answer, our calling card, we're going to make people play our style. And we'll ratchet it up until they eventually break. And so then the, finally, the, the, the final part of it is nasty is most disliked. I think you have to be in this business where when you're building your team, you want a team that is viewed as the evil empire. I'll talk about the Patriots a lot because over the last 20 years, they've been the most successful team. People hate the evil empire, but with the, within that hate is, is a, a, an admiration for the success that they've had. And mm-hmm. so you have to be willing as a general manager and a head coach, like, hey, you may not like us, but you're going to respect us because we're always going to be here. We may get knocked around. We're going to step right back up. So to me, heat culture really translates well to the National Football League because if you're building your team, you certainly can take those traits and put them in practice. And it doesn't even matter what the talent is. There's so many different layers to that, too. And I love that list. Um, what, there's an article on ESPN.com. Actually, an NFL GM had sent me. Uh, about what they've done with undrafted players. I don't know if you've, you've seen that, just the success they've had with undrafted players. And it starts going all the way back with Udonis Haslam, but uh, Struess is undrafted. I mean, they've got uh, Robinson's undrafted. They, they have, a, I think, they have the most mm-hmm. undrafted contributing players. And it kind of follows a little bit of what the Rams have done, which is they, you know, the Heat have always traded for stars. You go all the way back to, you know, to morning. Then when they did it with Shaq, they've done this several times, either signed or traded for big name stars, obviously the big three. But because of that, they've had to supplement the roster with undrafted players. And you think about the, you know, the philosophy now with the Rams, some of these other teams is trade for your stars and you got to fill in with those other guys. And I think sometimes we, we look at it and say, okay, you pay the big guys. And then financially, you can't afford that. So you've got to, you know, financially is the reason why you have these other guys. But I, but I think there's another thing, and this article kind of hits on it, is when you get those guys that have to fight and scratch and claw, like they bring a little bit of an edge to your group. So you might have your skilled star players, but then there's kind of that hungry element that you get from those undrafted players. Um, and this is a the quote from Struzan here he, in this article says it's a competitive environment. It suits guys like us because we're just trying to take advantage of every opportunity because you never know when you're going to get one or if we'd ever have one in the first place. So you've got just a great mix of stars. And then I don't know, just kind of that grimy, hungry, undrafted mm-hmm. player. I think that mix works. Yeah, I think it does work. And I think you have personal experience, obviously, with the Baltimore Ravens. You talked about post-draft stuff. You guys would give $500 in an opportunity. I just remember that yeah. ringing in my head. Yep. Oh, no, no, we don't do these exorbitant assignments. We give you $500, but what we're going to do is give you a real opportunity to play. And the big thing in the National Football League when it comes to undrafted players, what is your philosophical approach to your undrafted? Is it, A, these are just camp bodies that we just need to fill out the camp roster so we can practice with the other guys that we consider our real guys? Or is this a situation where the coaches in the front office are on the same page and we are giving everybody an opportunity? And coach, we're going to develop these guys that come in undrafted, just like we draft, just like we developed the drafted and the big marquee signees. And it's not only are we going to give them opportunity, but do we have a developmental plan? So going back, um, DJ, this started in Seattle because Seattle is another team that had a run of success with undrafted players. And then Dan Quinn took the same model and used it with the Atlanta Falcons. They call it the plan D program, plan development. So what they would do is every day after practice, the young players would spend 10 minutes with their position coaches, redoing the individual period, right? So just 10 minutes, DJ, hey, I'm a DB. We're going to backpedal. We're going to break and drive. We're going to plant. The next day, we're going to work on cover two stuff. 
jam, reroute, sync, funnel. The next day, hey, let's make sure we work on our bump and run stuff. And so what you do is if you just take those 10 minutes over time, they may end up being 40 minutes a week times 17, 18 weeks. Those little repetitions, you then begin to develop players. And so when you talk about the Miami Heat, like I read an article in GQ that Udonis Haslam talked mm-hmm. about. It. He said they, they called him like the kennel, right? Upstairs oh, yeah. in the gyms, the kennel, because they got all the young, hungry two dogs. Two on and twos, so, yeah. Two I read on that. twos upstairs yep. being able to play. And that is the kind of stuff that I'm like, oh, okay, there's some to it. To me, it reminds me of college. You remember in college, like if you had the red shirts or whatever, we call it the toilet freshman. Bowl. We call yeah, it the, the freshman scrimmage. Yep. Yeah, the freshman scrimmage, you get after the whatever. Think about it. How often do we get into the season and continue to pour into the young guys? A lot of times, coaches, everybody, we're so focused on winning the week that we forget about the young guys. But the teams that do it right, they are able to work on the here and now while also thinking about the future. And so to me, it's pouring into the player development. It is doing simple drills, doing the daily work, and giving the young players an opportunity to grow. And then knowing, because they've had so much success with the others, the light at the end of the tunnel always illuminates for the young guys because they know, like, well, if I work hard, there's no reason why I can't be Udonis Haslam. There's no Mm -hmm. reason why I can't be Duncan Robinson and the countless other guys that have been undrafted that end up parlaying their work into big-time success, either with the Heat or with other teams because they have that foundation. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, if you look at some of the, you know, some of the great teams that have been consistent. You've touched on the Patriots. The You know, that's the, the best dynasty mm-hmm. that we've ever seen in the National Football League. Their their best player, their leader was a six round pick who was mm-hmm. given nothing, who earned everything. And I think not only is that kind of hunger what you want in your leader, but it's also a great example. I don't care if I came into the Patriots as an undrafted player, fifth round pick, fourth round. Tom Brady's a six round pick. He's the best player of all time. Um, he runs this place. Like that, that's something. I think about the Seattle Seahawks, another team who mm-hmm. maintained that success. Russell Wilson wasn't the first round pick. He came in there as an unheralded player, you know, beat everybody out and took it over and, and ran with it. So, you know, people can criticize Russ or whatever they, you know, like mm-hmm. or don't like about him. That was a shining example to everybody in that building. I think it's just some grit and some toughness that that adds to your organization. And I think about what the heat with Udonis Haslam. Um, there's another quote from that article, Buck. He said, talking about undrafted guys, we don't have the leash that the draftees got. We don't have the luxury of making the mistakes that the draftees got. We don't have the luxury of being lazy like the draftees got. We don't have the luxury of not knowing the plays like the draftees got. We don't have the luxury of not playing hard like the draftees got. We don't have those luxuries when you're undrafted. And I'm like, that's the leader. That's been the leader of that team for 19 years. Like that's been kind of the standard of what the work looks like. So that's the standard of what the work looks like. And you know what's so great is they've kept him around. Whether he plays minutes or whatever, he's in uniform, he's on the bench, he's there every day. And DJ, you're right, because you understand it. Like you've been around it. Hey, when you come in, having played that role, when you're the, the guy that's fighting to make the roster, yeah. you know that, hey, the, the leash is short. I have to know exactly what to do. I can't have mental mistakes and errors. I can't come in out of shape and not make the conditioning test and not do those things. All of that stuff has to be done just to give yourself an opportunity. But it's not only those guys understanding where it is, but then it's the coaches being able to say, hey, man, wherever you came in, I don't care whether you're drafted, undrafted or not, we're going to play the best players. As you know, we've been with organizations that it doesn't always work like that. The guy that's drafted is, hey, he's ushered in Mm -hmm. to make the team. But if you say, hey, however you came in, you came in, whatever monies were paid out to you to get you here, that's one thing. But the guys who play are the ones who earn the right to play. That is something different. But when you do that and you hold people accountable to that, you now create that that kennel mentality where you do have everyone fighting, scratching and clawing for their bone, that opportunity to play because they know it's a legit opportunity. If you play hard, you play well, you get a chance to uh, play in games. Two other things um, I read about how they encourage respectful confrontation, which I thought was a fascinating uh, yeah. use of words. And the other one was they believe strictly in eye to eye communication. You never look down and you don't walk away. Like how many times have you been talking to somebody when it gets kind of uncomfortable and they kind of look down and kind mm-hmm. of veer off like, no, 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 we are here. You're locked in and we're engaged. And it's just it's not machismo, it's not machismo, whatever the word you want to use there. It's just like, hey, we are adults. This is this is business. This is serious. 
act act like a grown up. Yeah. You know, it's kind of how it is. Okay. So so here's what's funny, right? And in, in looking at that and and studying that and and learning how to lead as a head coach, like that's one of the things. And one of the things that I have to do in the high school level is we talk about a the communication that we do inside the lines is business, not personal. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like that player the player, coach the player, player the coach. Like, hey, it's business. Don't get caught up in um whether it be the tone or the messages, hey, eye to eye, we're going to hold people accountable. And the hardest thing to do, DJ, is to get players to hold other players accountable because you don't want the messaging always to come from up top. The best teams that we all have been around are player-driven, where the players kind of uphold the standards and understand what the culture is, and they make sure that everyone lives up to the standard on a daily basis. I thought it was fascinating that they talked about respectful communication because mm-hmm. what that also was it's not only like hey we're gonna look look you in the eye and talk but sometimes we've been around teams where the stars are given leeway and stars yeah. say whatever it is they want to say to people in the building and they talked about you know now we don't do that here so mm-hmm. earlier in the year i mean it was like a couple oh, jimmy ago, butler jimmy, that whole thing got nasty on the on jimmy the butler eric Spolsch, like we've seen those kinds of confrontations completely tear up a team mm-hmm. the rest of the year. And they were able to just, okay, no, 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 we don't, we do it. We handle it. We handle it internally. And then we move on to me. You really have to have everyone locked in and engaged where you can have people going back and forth like that. Then they put it to bed and then they move on and go. And the team is able to flourish without any um, remnants or residue from that confrontation really leaking into the way the team performs. All right, so here's my one uh, coaching uh, nugget for you that I that my son's high school coach does. I don't know if we talked about this before, but I, I absolutely love it. And you know, I think about you and the job you've done and building up a program. I love this little aspect of what they do. At the end of every practice, and they don't have we don't have a big team; it's a smaller school. But at the end of every practice, if you have your coaches out there, every player on the team goes up to every coach and they shake their hand and they look them in the eye after mm. every practice, after every game. And it's not, it's not looking down. It's not just brushing by the coach. It's you, sh- you shake his hand, you look him in the eye and you go on to the next one. You shake his hand, look him in the eye. But it's like, a, it's like a, a growing up, a maturing process of like, this is your whole life. Like when you go into business meetings later, when you go to interview for jobs, the ability to shake an adult's hand and look him in the eye, like that sounds silly or corny, I'm telling you, man, like that is a great way to develop young men, like just getting them comfortable in that being able to look the guy in the eye, shake his hand. Good job, coach. Good job. We'll see you tomorrow. Good job. That's it. And the the coaches reciprocate that. No, I I love that. I love hearing that. And I I have seen people do that. I think it's great that uh, the coach is doing that because you do have to show young people how to handle those situations and the communication part, eye to eye, direct communication, very clear communication, being able to have what may be uncomfortable confrontations, but being able to move beyond that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times, and it's hard because we live in a world where everything is like, you know, we're texting, we're not really used to verbalizing what it is that we're feeling. But if you're able to do that, and if you're able to be clear, direct, and honest with your dialogue, and being able to get past it, I think everyone wants that. I think even you and I in our, in our job, like if, if someone was to critique us about our performance or whatever, if you can give me clear, direct and honest feedback, I can deal with it. Now, mm-hmm. my initial reaction, I may bristle. <laughs> it may be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> if, 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 if I might have to step away and then mm-hmm. come back. But I think we all want that. But what I don't want is the passive aggressive, the stuff that. Yeah. They never tell you, but then later in a review, it's like, oh, you don't do this. And you're like, well, you, you, you never told me that. Yeah. Like, even yeah. if I don't like it, give me the feedback and then we can do it. But it's teaching people and encouraging that environment. Like, no, nah, we give we give open and honest feedback. And to take it back to the Patriots, to take it back to the Heat, is being able to coach the stars like that. Because yeah. a lot of times we've seen it where the star doesn't get barked at. It's the backup. It's the practice squad player that they're like, oh, my God, you got to do. Well, wait a minute. I just saw the starter not do that. The starter doesn't have that stuff. No. And so when your best players take to the coaching, it sets the tone for everybody else. And so that has to be established within the organization that, hey, we coach everybody hard. We're fair. We do this. But 
you come here, you're going to get coached and you're going to be held to the standard. If you don't live up to the standard. We're going to call you every time that you don't. Mm-hmm. No, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting uh, culture to study there. And obviously what they've done has, has stood the test of time. I, I communicate with a couple of baseball GMs as well. And then I, I was sending this stuff out to a bunch of different people. And one of the baseball GMs like Pat Riley, I admire Pat Riley as much as anybody in sports, like all these different teams and organizations and sports, they all study each other and the heat are as well respected as anybody. Yeah, no, it, it's funny. I think everyone studies each other. There's open communication. I think that's what makes pro sports, well, all sports so great is that the open dialogue and how people are willing to share. You would think that everyone would be very uh, secretive and, and and very guarded about what is the secret sauce, but everyone kind of opens up and shares. And then DJ, when you go get down to it, a lot of the, the ingredients are the same common denominators that we talk about. People yep. may do it in a little different way, but a lot of it is always the same. Yep, hundred um, percent. All right, let's get to these uh, fifth year options. I want to see if if you mm-hmm. come up with anything um, theme wise um, of what we can learn from that. I've got a couple thoughts on it. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with these uh, fifth year options. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. All right, Buck. So here we go. Fifth-year options that were declined. So this is from the 2019 draft class. So I went back, kind of looked up my notes on those guys, as well as kind of looking at the situations they were in to see what we can learn. Um, let's start first of all here uh, with Daniel Jones. His uh, his option was not picked up. I, I wrote down on here, I just, 
you know, we can talk about him and whatever issues he may have had. Obviously, the turnovers have been big, but in terms of what was around him, the the peas, the playmakers, mm-hmm. the protection, the play caller, I don't know that uh, I, don't, I don't know that he was put in a good spot there. No, I don't think he was put in a good spot. And I feel like, you know, like, and, and look, new regime, Joe Shane, Brian Dayball, they do need to see before they make that commitment because the big change has been when they tweaked the CBA, it became a fully guaranteed option. And so now that's a different decision than what it was when it was just guaranteed for injury. Now you're, you're locked in when you take the option. And so for, for Daniel Jones, I think there are a couple of things that kind of clouds the evaluation. One, unfortunately, whatever the narrative was when he was drafted, that always hangs over Daniel Jones's performance and play because so many on the outside were surprised he was taken as high as he was. Like it's kind of like an uphill battle for him to change perception. Two, the team that he went to was not very good. Didn't have many pieces around him. Um, offensive line has been shaky. The perimeter players have been up and down, and I still worry about that a little bit. Um, and then he had all the turnovers. But I think he's shown flashes. He's athletic enough to do some really outstanding things. He certainly can make the passes. He just has to take care of the ball. He takes better care of the football. I think he'll be a guy that can be picked up. I'm curious to see what he is able to play like under a creative offensive coordinator who has dealt with a guy who has athletic traits that are similar to Daniel Jones. Yeah, no, this will be a big year for him. I I don't know that there's any real lesson that we can take on that one. I think think you have to – look, I I think the lesson – is if you're going to take a quarterback like that in the top 10, you got to make sure that you do everything in your power to fully support him, whatever that is. We talked about play year one, evaluate, then figure out to give him what he needs in year two. And so I think the same thing, Daniel Jones needed that. So this year he'll get some of that and we'll see how he performs. All right. I actually, now that you kind of say that, I'm I'm looking back here. So they took him in 2019. So in 2020, they took Andrew Thomas in the first round, right? Tried to uh, tried to help that offensive line. Um, and then 2021, they took Darius Toney uh, with their first pick, but then came back with Aziz Ojolari and then Aaron Robinson corner. They went a lot of, a lot of defense there uh, after that first pick. And I think kind of to your to your point, which is when you have a young quarterback, if you have to have a lopsided team early in their career where you kind of build up the offense. Um, I think I'm mm-hmm. okay with that, but don't, but don't let, don't let you get to this point in time. Where you got to make a decision on his fifth year option and you haven't put enough pieces around him to, to be able to make that decision. You know, if your defense suffers, it suffers, but you got to lean, you got to be a little lopsided to help them out on that side early in their career. Yeah. And I think with the young quarterback, the younger the quarterback, I think the more experience you need around him on the perimeter, you need guys that are going to be consistent and reliable. The, the stability I think helps young quarterbacks develop. I think sometimes it's hard to pair young quarterbacks with young playmakers on the outside because everyone is learning. I would like to have an expert out there to kind of help him, at least one veteran player that's a high-end player that can help him, that can be his reliable number one while he's figuring out how to play the game. Yeah, I can't say that they have done Daniel Jones any favors early in his career. All right, running backs, Josh Jacobs, his, uh, his option, which was $8 million, was declined. I know some of that's just the product of the running back position. Um, but if I was going to say, okay, what's the one lesson? I think he's good in the passing game. I don't think he's dominant you know, in the mm-hmm. passing game. I think maybe that factored into it a little bit. I also think for his, he's a workhorse back, and I loved him coming into that draft. Um, but, you know, this is not, not a home run hitter. So if you get a back that's not necessarily the most dynamic as a home run mm-hmm. hitter, and then maybe is not a uh, you know big time weapon in the past game. He's functional, but not like a big time weapon. I guess that would be maybe the lesson you take there. Yeah, it's tough, and it's another example. And it's hard because I've had to come to grips with this. Like running backs in the first round can be really, really tricky and difficult, um, unless they are what we call like five star, high end. What what I'm say worthy of being top ten players. If they're not that, it becomes harder to take them in the first round because maybe they don't have what we call transcendent talent. And so with Josh Jacobs, these are very good players, best maybe running back in that class, but you still don't know like, oh, do I want to sign up another four or five years of this good player, maybe not great player. And so that's why you decline that on the uh, running back. 
And you just look at kind of what you can get running backs for not only in the draft, but you look at what you can get the guys in the free agent market. You're sitting there going $8 million. I could, I could chop that 8 million bucks up into three running backs. Really? And then look, and I, and I told you, like the philosophy was draft one high, but you draft him with the intention of never re-signing him, you know, DJ, because even if he plays at a high level where he's a two time or three time rushing champ, you then have the franchise tag at your disposal. You have a, a, a few different vehicles to be able to do it without ever really having to commit long-term to a running back with, with significant money. And it's been much easier to find running backs because the position has become really a part-time position as opposed to a workhorse position. All right, let's get to the wideouts. There's only one. Uh, the Patriots declined their option on Nikhil Harry at $12.4 million. What do you What do you take away from that one? <laughs> um. I think this is more about the player than the position. Yeah, you know, for sure, for sure. Yeah, for un- unfortunately for them, you know, like the Patriots have a tough time identifying and drafting high-end uh, receivers, and he's another one. Look, like some of the things that he did at Arizona State, he was versatile. He was terrific in terms of his dominance in the Pac-12. I worried about the speed, and I worried about him being a little heavy-footed mm-hmm. when I watched him coming out. Not sudden at all, like no sudden. Yeah, and, and, and so it just hasn't. It just hasn't worked out, you know, and so I think this is one where they both kind of understand he hasn't been on the field enough. He hasn't made enough plays. And when you a first round pick, man, first round pick is expected to be a foundational piece to that offense. And he hasn't emerged as that. I think also it's a a good lesson to take about fit. So if you look Mm -hmm. at the Patriots and look at where all their productions come over the years, think about the type of receivers with the Edelmans, the Welkers, those those dudes in the slot, quick changer direction slot guys. And you think about, okay, who that Randy Moss, the only one really had success. He's a one-on-one. He's a unicorn, but he had obviously had juice and burst and could go, you know, do some things down the field. Nikhil Harry is kind of a, a X, you know, old school X, just a boxy, strong, big physical guy who's not real sudden, not going to be a dynamic route runner, and then doesn't have that top speed to go mm-hmm. take the top off the defense. So you kind of look back and say, who have they had like that that's been successful? They haven't, you know, like you go, you're right. Like it's funny you bring that up. Their best players at the position, the most effective players, they all kind of come, they all come out the same. Troy Brown, right? They all they all are the Amadolas, the Edelmans, the Troy Browns, the West Welkers. Like they're really good at identifying the slot receivers. Um, Hawkins, Andrew Hawkins, told me like when he went up there, he didn't have him run a forty; they had him run short shot on three cone Mm -hmm. because it's change direction, whatever. They know exactly what they want there. They know how to get those kinds of guys open. So they just just shop at that store, just. Only we're going right here. We're only going to get those kinds of players because they have a clear plan and they know how to get those guys uh, loose and involved in the offense. Yeah, it's like you go to the grocery store. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to get chicken. I know I, I want chicken. <laughs> I'm going to have chicken for dinner. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm on the pasta aisle. Like, what are you doing over here? <laughs> yeah. They come here for pasta. Yeah, they're, the wrong, they're in the wrong aisle. And so they shopped and got the wrong the wrong kind of player. And so it just kind of changes. It just changes so much about what they want to do and how they have to do it. All right, offensive linemen that had their option decline. Caleb McGarry uh, with the Falcons. Bradbury, Garrett Bradbury with the Vikings. And Andre Dillard with the Eagles. Let me take the last two because I went back through and looked at my notes. Bradbury and Dillard, both ultra, ultra athletic. Both of them had play strength questions. So I, I think I'm going to kind of label that as, you know, when, you, when you're grading offensive linemen and they have a play strength concern, it's easy to say, oh, I just get stronger. You know, I just need to get stronger. But. I don't know that that that's you get dangerous when you get into that territory. I've had other offensive linemen I missed on both these guys. Mm-hmm. Other offensive linemen I've missed on, I've made that same mistake. So it's a it's a, a little lesson for me. Um, those those alarm bells should go off when you say a great athlete but doesn't have play strength. That should concern you. Yeah, like DJ, it's tough, man, because you can tell me that Gary Bradbury was not going to be a terrific zone blocker. Like like even we talk about fit and scheme. I'm like, well, this scheme is perfect. Gary Kubiak's Scheme is like the perfect thing for him. When you watched him, like it screamed, this is a zone center. Look at him, track and run, watch him move. Look how athletic he is. And yeah, play play strength matters. Your ability to move people because what happens is we're kind of seeing this thing in the league where we're seeing these big 320, 335-pound guys that they put right over the top of the center and he's just beating them into submission. You know, like – Via Vare is, is one of one in terms of that. But we are seeing more of those big guys with size and athleticism 
give you problems at the point of attacking. If you don't have the ability to at least stalemate them at the line of scrimmage, it's hard to put them on the field. I think it's connected too when you look at all the too high safety trend that we have in the league right now. Okay, well, if you're going to play with too high safeties, you got fewer guys in the box, which means teams are trying to get bigger up front with up front. their guys because they don't have as many of them up there. And I think that maybe works against against him a little bit. So, um, and then you had Caleb McGarry. When I go back through, to me, it was just a little bit. There was a, a tightness issue, a stiffness issue. That was his concern. Real physical, real tough. Totally different than the other two, but. I guess you kind of say like, man, you got somebody that's really tight. And I mean, obviously, well, oh, geez, you go figure. You want real athletic, strong guys, you know, like, okay. But I know it's not that simple. But then, but, but you know, like the thing about the offensive line, the offensive line, we were talking about houses before we, we, we clicked on live. But the offensive line, the neighborhood matters more than any other position. Like mm-hmm. the composition of all five really matters. And so like, it's one thing to have the guy that is the rugged mauler brawler, but if the other guys are not like, it, it, it just doesn't work because as you're the offensive coordinator, you're trying to figure out the best way to play. If everyone is unable to play the same way, you're limited and someone gets exposed. And so for Kevin McGee, when I look at the rest of that offensive line, he was a little bit of the outlier in terms of his style of play and what the strengths of his game was. All right, let's get to these defensive linemen. We had Cleve Farrell, Jerry Tillery and LJ Collier options weren't picked up. Let's let's work back to front here. LJ Collier, first of all, I just thought I mean he was my 56th player can buck. I, he I was a 29th thought, pick. 29th pick. Look, man, that was I, I I just I didn't see him. So okay, so when I was looking at him coming out, I, I didn't know what the blue trait was. Yeah, he, he ran four. He ran four nine one. Yeah, but but in watching him. He was more of a power rusher yep. than, a, than a, an explosive rusher off the edge. And there's a place in the league for the power players, but power players typically aren't high-level pass rushers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they and, and so I just – he was I, just overdrafted. Yep, he was overdrafted. So he was – yeah, he was 27 spots overdrafted. But, yeah, he did not test well. Um, I'm looking at my notes. All power. He's got some shock in his hands. Um, struggle versus angle blocks. Now, this is the other thing I want to get to that ties these three guys together. Mm-hmm. LJ Collier was 6022283. Tweener, right? Well below. Then, well below then, the standard. Then you look at well, remember, like, is he inside? Is he outside? You know, mm-hmm. some people say, oh, the versatility is a positive. Other people will say that he doesn't fit. He's a tweener. He doesn't fit either spot. Jerry Tillery, Jerry Tillery, uh, with the Chargers, and I see him all the time. Jerry Tillery is is kind of interesting because he's got a six foot, he's 6064, 295, 493. So you say, okay, he's an interior guy. He's actually more comfortable rushing on the edge. He plays too high, he gets banged around inside. So he's another guy who's kind of a tweener. He's not, you know, he likes to rush on the edge, but he's built like somebody who should play inside. Um, the Stanford game, you know, Herbig in that game, going back to my notes, he just moved him and mauled him in that game. So it's kind of doesn't really have a fit, doesn't really have a home. Cleland Farrell, I mean, Buck, he was the fourth pick. Where was he on my list? I think I had Farrell. He was my 19th guy. So, again, was overdrafted. If you remember, he did not run a 40 because everybody knew he was going to run slow. But he was somebody who's 604-3264, really kind of at his best inside because he doesn't have any juice coming off the edge. So he's got an outside body with an inside skill set. Yeah, These guys all just weren't – fits like they were just kind of tweeners so so here's maybe the scouting lesson and all the things that we're talking about because if you go you talk about those guys didn't you talk about uh bradbury um who's the other lineman that we talked about yeah uh, we, not talk, having we talked about dillard. Bradbury and dillard yeah so so dj it is uh when we talk about first rounders because all those guys are first round picks it's the certainty like what we're talking about and we've said this i don't need home runs i can deal with doubles and so it's being able to stand in front of the room and say, okay, he's an expert or he's a master of this part of his craft. I know exactly where he is in this area, as opposed to there are too many questions. Does he play outside or inside? Um, is, he, is he his own player? Is he a gap scheme player or whatever? In the first round, when we're talking about the best of the best, when you're picking someone, you want to be able to check off all the boxes. Mm-hmm. He does this. This is how we're going to play him. 
This is what impact he's going to give us because he is great at this. Now, if what he's great at doesn't fit us, cool. But your first round player, it should be clear and apparent what he's great at. He has to have an A plus first pitch. And you know exactly what that first pitch is. And no one can match him when it comes to that. And all of those players that we are talking about, there were questions, even in you talking about your notes and me talking about my report, like there were questions about all of them that just should have made you pause a little bit. Now, look, our people that work for those teams that took them were like, oh, yeah, you guys have hindsight or whatever. But no, like when we talk about it, there were some questions that had to be addressed when you're talking about in the first round. It's just different. It's different in the first round compared to other rounds. No, it's interesting when you kind of take those lessons and you apply them to kind of the, the most recent draft class and see some of those guys that, oh, man, okay, maybe there were some warning signs with, with some of these dudes. Um, the last two, and I'll put them together here, even though it's a linebacker and a safety, Devin Bush for the Steelers and Jonathan Abram uh, with the Raiders. Two players, I've, I'll be honest, I love both these guys coming out. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of falling on a sword on some of these here. But those guys, what we loved about them, Buck, they could both fly. They could both big-time run. Big time hitters, big time tempo, like bring energy, mm-hmm. all those things that we mm-hmm. love. The one question mark on both of them was just some cover stuff, some man cover stuff. And if you look at it in the league that we're in right now, linebackers and safeties, if you can't cover, it's hard, man. You can have all that other stuff going for you, but it, it just limits you and you're going to get exposed if you can't cover. If you can't cover, you're going to be uh, exposed and you have to have something else that counteracts that liability. So if you can't cover, then you better be a darn good blitzer. Like you have to be a guy that when we put you in sub packages, we can find a way to impact. I'll call it Jamal Adams effect. And even though there's some some conversations about maybe buyer's remorse in terms of how he played last year, given the money, like you have to have a trait that enables the defensive coordinator to put you on the field and in a position to impact the game. And so Jonathan Abrams is a Terrific hitter. I don't know if he's a great tackler. And then there's the the questions and coverage. And look, let's be honest, durability has been an issue. Like he's Mm -hmm. been banged up a lot. And and so that's a problem. But your safeties have to be able to cover in this league. And I've said this is going all the way back to when I was working in Seattle. Dick Roach, um, former secondary coach, used to say this. An ideal secondary is one where there's one safety and three corners. And that strong safety or whatever type should be a corner that yeah. can come down and play your tight end or your slot receiver without us having to go to nickel. And at the time, this would be a dated reference, but he said Sean Springs would be a perfect strong safety type yeah. in our league. And so Sean Springs, which is, is like a, a Charles Woodson type, like a bigger cornerback who had agility and athleticism to be able to play out wide, but also come in the slot. That is ideally what you're looking for to be able to do it. They can play in the box. They can play man to man. You don't have to hide those guys in the passing game. Yep. No, it's a, that's a great point. You know, you want to have as many corners on the field as you can possibly get out there. Um, all right. Well, that's it. Those are those are the guys. Some interesting uh, lessons there. And again, try and apply those as we go forward. Um, I, I think that is helpful. Anything else you want to hit on, Buck? Before we get out of here, it's been great nah, to be back together. No, nah, that was great. That was a great conversation. That fifth year option stuff, you know, like because this is the time, DJ. Like before we begin to dig into next year's draft class, because we're getting up. I think the guys are going into meetings here in the next week or so to go and get the first list. Yeah, national meetings. National meetings are beginning to talk. So what you want to do as a scout, you want to kind of do some reflection. Look at what you've learned. Look at what has happened over the last couple of years. Look at the guys in the league that are playing that maybe surprised you before you get the intel on this new class because you kind of want to have a fresh set of eyes with new info that maybe help you grade the new class um, based on the information that you got to kind of be able to like, oh, okay, you know what? I might need to be a little more lenient or a little more stringent on some of these things based on how the league is trending and what is playing in the league as opposed to what is not having success in the league. No, no doubt. Um, man, it's been fun to be back together. Hope you guys have enjoyed uh, hanging out with us here. We do appreciate you sticking with us. Um, we will be back here in a, in a couple of days. Do this all over again. Thanks to Nabil for a wonderful job uh, putting this together as he does each and every week. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.